The theme verse for this series is Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. My first question for you this morning is, and maybe my last, um, but what words or thoughts come to mind when you hear this verse? I just want you to take a minute, hear the verse again, and reflect on it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's. And as citizens of God's kingdom, we, as people living on this earth, are called to reframe our understanding of creation and our relationship to creation. And that's what this whole series is all about. The earth is the Lord's. We don't own it. And so because of that, what is our relationship and our understanding of creation? Today I want to focus on uh, a passage from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet um, in the Old Testament. So you can find that book. And we're going to look at chapter 34 um, verses. The, the main verses are two and three, but I'll highlight a few others here um, as well. So Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 3. It says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. We see in this passage that um, the prophet is really rebuking what, they, what he's calling the shepherds. But in Israel, the shepherds would have been anyone who was a leader of God's people. It could have been the kings. It could have been the religious rulers. It could have been the priests. Anyone who was really taking care of God's people or should have been taking care of God's people. And here we see that God is not happy with them. He sends the prophet to say, woe to you, shepherds. They have been abusing their people, misusing their God-given power. The metaphor of the shepherd has long been used for the leaders of God's people. And in a shepherding community like ancient Israel, everyone knew how shepherds treated their sheep with love and kindness most times as a part of the family, caring deeply for the well-being of all of the sheep. As Israel became a nation and the religious leaders gained power and influence among the kings and surrounding nations, pride began to overrun their hearts. They were no longer concerned about the well-being of the sheep, rather only the well-being of themselves. So here we see the shepherd exploiting their sheep for their own selfish gain without caring for or giving back. One commentary points out that the shepherds committed three sins of commission, intentional sins. The first one is that they ate the choicest part of the animals. It says they ate the curds. The second is that they clothed, they clothed themselves with the wool. And the third is that they slaughtered the, the choicest, the fattest, the best sheep for themselves. But the part that is repeated a couple times in this rebuke is their sin of omission. It says they did not take care of the sheep. 
the scripture continues in verse 4. I don't have it um, on the slides, but verse 4 says, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought, brought back the strays or searched for the lost. And this is what the commentary calls these sins of omission. They haven't taken care of those who are under their watch. These shepherds, these leaders, were prophesied against because they were only caring for themselves, not the sheep, not the world. They were taking and taking without any concern for others. They had, they were given the privilege of power over the sheep and the ability to take whatever they wanted, but this is not how shepherds treat what is under their care. And everybody would have known this. And this is not how God's representatives on earth treat God's creation. But it wasn't just these intentional sins of, take, of eating the best parts and taking their wool and, and slaughtering the choicest animals, but it was so much about the sin of omission. They did not care. Verse 6 says, the sheep were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. The shepherds didn't care. And so the scripture says, woe to you who only take care of yourselves. It was easy for these shepherds, these leaders, and it's easy for us too if we're in leadership or we see this all the time. It's easy to take whatever we want. Who's going to stop us? We have the power, the privilege. It's easy to exploit, in this case, the people of Israel. They had the power and the resources, and there weren't many who could stand up to them. This metaphor of how the priests and religious rulers were treating the people of Israel, it worked as a metaphor in the time of the prophet Ezekiel because everyone knew how a shepherd would treat their sheep. Everyone knew that a shepherd would never treat their sheep the way this passage describes. This ancient culture had a connection to the animals, to the earth, to their food. You can read about it all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. There was a connection to the earth and to God's creation. The way that they slaughtered animals, the way that they planted plants and harvested, it was it was so important to them, it was almost sacred. Now today, I would say we are much more disconnected from creation to the earth, to animals, unless you have a dog like mine who sleeps in my bed. I'm very connected to my dog. But this metaphor wouldn't really work for us. We can think, oh yeah, shepherds would, would love their sheep. We have a, a, a stained glass window over here in this building of Jesus as the great shepherd with a little baby sheep in his, in his arms. And that's what we think of when we think of shepherds. But, but the people hearing this metaphor would have known this so deeply because this was how they functioned as a society. But this metaphor wouldn't work for us today. One, we don't even think about how animals are made into our food. We are eating dinner. I think Joe told you guys this metaphor, <laughs> this story last week. You know, we're eating dinner and Finn is like, this is chicken that we eat, not the chicken that's on the farm. I also remember one time I was in the store and I was like, I'm not going to buy any beef because I know how harmful beef is to the environment. But then I bought two pounds of ground beef because I wasn't thinking that 
beef is the same as the cows that are harmful for the environment. I was like, that's an embarrassing story to tell as, you know, an adult. But it's so true. We, are, we don't even think about how animals are made into our food. And number two, when we do think about it, we know that this metaphor of taking the choicest parts, slaughtering without care, taking the wool, all of this, we know that this is exactly how our food industry operates in this world. And we don't do anything about it. When I was in college, I watched the Netflix documentary Food, Inc. I recommend it if you're you know, passionate about this kind of thing, but I also, it's a hard one to watch if you want to continue um, without any thoughts around this. But we know that the food industry operates this way to the point of overproduction and poor production that causes diseases and pollution, harming not just the animals under their care, but the land and the people who live in those communities. We're doing this series um, around creation, around the earth is the Lord's, because this week, April 22nd, is Earth Day. If you didn't know, it's Earth Day on Thursday. And Earth Day was created in 1970 by a U.S. senator who, had, who was also a governor of um, a state out west that I can't remember. And um, his, his goal while he was governor and also as a senator was to bring awareness to the earth and to the way humans are not always caring for the earth as good stewards. Those are my words, not his. I'm not sure he would use the word steward. But as a Christian, you know, I think about Earth Day as a, as a day to remind me that I should be a steward of this earth and all of our resources. So once a year on Earth Day in April, I'm reminded that we should be planting trees. I know it's not Arbor Day, but I still that's what I think of when I think of Earth Day. I'm also reminded that we should be picking up litter in our neighborhood um, and that we should be, you know, planting seeds and, and not driving cars all the time. And But every other day of the year... When I think about this, I am overwhelmed by my thoughts when I throw away trash or when I go somewhere and they don't recycle and I have to throw something that should be recycled in the trash can. Every other day of the year outside of Earth Day, I'm thinking about my clothes being made in countries that have poor labor laws and low or no pay for the people who made what I'm wearing. Every other day of the year, I'm wondering if the junior bacon cheeseburger in my four for four that I'm eating with a tomato on it is still oppressing migrant workers who harvested that tomato. This is a daily struggle for me. I'm probably alone. Probably no one else is thinking about these things. No one else has this overactive brain thinking about recycling and trash and tomatoes. But a couple of years ago, Joe knows this about me, so he was watching the Good Place. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on Hulu. It's a great um, uh, comedy drama. So we saw this episode, and I was thinking about it in in relation to this series. And this this just the scene describes my struggle to the point. Um, and I think this is the hardest part about caring for God's creation in the 21st century. So let's watch this clip. Wonderful. All right, why don't we all sit down so I can fill the judge in on what we've learned. Your Honor, I once stood in front of you and said I thought there was something wrong with the point system. I finally know what it is. Life now is so complicated. It's impossible for anyone to be good enough 
for the good place. I know you don't like to learn too much about life on Earth to remain impartial, but these days just buying a tomato at a grocery store means that you are unwittingly supporting toxic pesticides, exploiting labor, contributing to global warming. Humans think that they're making one choice, but they're actually making dozens of choices they don't even know they're making. Your big revelation is life is complicated? That's not a revelation. That's a divorced woman's throw pillow. I mean, this guy chose this tomato. Those are the consequences. You don't want the consequences? Do the research. Buy another tomato. What else you got? Um, I'll tell you what else I got. Uh, I got this. Michael, what, what are you doing? Backpack kid dance. Why? I don't know. It makes people happy. Is it helping? That's so great that those are those are right next to each other because we have this weight of making this decision about buying this tomato that has all of these other consequences and we just want to feel good about ourselves. So let's dance. But this is the struggle, right? Like once we know that this tomato has all of these other consequences or it took this journey to get where it is in this store that I'm shopping at, it's so hard now. What do I do? What's, there's so many things wrong down the line from my one decision that I don't think that I can do anything without, like our scripture passage says, sinning against creation, animal, people, the earth. I feel like I'm making this, you know, this uh, innocent decision, but really I feel like this is the sin of omission. What do we even do about this? I know that when I throw something in the trash that can be recycled, I'm making that decision. That is my sin of commission. But I buy organic food, thinking that I'm doing the right thing for the earth, not using pesticides, not realizing that the farm workers that harvested this, these organic foods, they don't have any benefits and are barely making any money. Maybe sin of omission. Sometimes I just don't want to think about it, right? And that's where we get into that dance. I'm not going to dance for you. But sometimes we just don't want to think about it. And in our culture, honestly, we don't have to. Out of sight, out of mind. The Israelites, in the time of Ezekiel, they, they had to think about it. They were raising the food. They were, they were planting the seeds. If they weren't doing it, their brother or cousin or someone next door was doing it. They were so closely connected to the food that they ate. But today, we don't have to think about that. We go to the grocery store, out of sight, out of mind. We don't know how it got there, but here it is, and now I'm going to go home and cook. Every time I think about creation, about Earth Day, about my contribution to climate change, I'm reminded of this passage in Romans chapter 8. Uh, I think it'll be on the screen. It should be in the slides. Um, Romans 8, 22 through 24 says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. This is what I think of when I think of creation, how creation is crying out, groaning because of the pressure. Creation, all of it, the ground, animals, humans, trees, plants, the atmosphere, it is all groaning 
for redemption, for salvation. We know that this world, this life, is not what it should be. That God is going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. But I think just as we care for ourselves, who will also be remade with new bodies without sickness or pain, we also have the obligation, the responsibility to care for creation before it too is remade. We are privileged to have the power, the resources, even the call from God to care for creation, to steward creation. I would say that most days I am overwhelmed by the weight of the problem that creation is in the midst of right now. Extreme weather, bad soil, contaminated water, overhunting and fishing to the extent of extinction, mass shootings, systems created and upheld to oppress black and brown people. But I think that's the point of this point system. Did they mention the point system in, the, in that clip in The Good Place? In The Good Place, there's this point system, and you have to have so many positive points to get into The Good Place. But at this point, life is so complicated. What do we even do? And that's how I feel. Like the time that I loitered in front of a restaurant in sweatpants and a hoodie without buying any, like I didn't go in, but I smile at the police officer walking by and not even thinking that they might question me for being there. When I buy the prepackaged fruits at the store because they are more convenient than having to cut up apples myself, um, even though there's more plastic packaging. When I run the water a little too long while doing dishes like I did yesterday, I could go on and on, like buying clothes at places without finding out where the clothes came from or knowing where they came from and still buying the clothes anyways. But you don't need to hear my list of confession. I'll do that later. What you do want to hear, though, is that there's hope, right? This is pretty depressing. This like wears me out thinking about these things, which is why I don't usually. But there is hope. This Romans verse, it continues. It says, we wait eagerly. I think it can be on the screen. We wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? It says we wait eagerly for this hope that we will be redeemed as God's creation and also that there will be a new heaven and a new earth that the world will also be redeemed. Ryan Fote, um, a professor of meteorology at OU, um, Ohio University, he was good friends of ours while we lived in Athens, and he also has something to say about this, about this hope that we hear. Um, let's watch this clip from his interview with Joe. Yeah, well, well I, I fully believe that there is no one fix-all solution to climate change. And because I believe that, everything we do matters. Nothing should be discredited. Everything counts. Uh, I, I do believe at the higher levels, there needs to be um, some international policy that helps to regulate greenhouse gases and work towards global carbon neutrality. That means that we, for every carbon dioxide molecule that gets put into the atmosphere, we're removing one uh, through different offsets. Uh, that's a really good target. And most countries have those and um, most states in the US have those. And so that's a really good goal to reach and achieve. Mm. Uh, but instead of just waiting for that to happen magically, there's a lot that you can do individually. And uh, those are you know, everyday choices that you may not think of. 
one group that I really love to follow in terms of climate change solutions that are accessible right now with technology and resources is Project Drawdown. And Project Drawdown lists the number one solution for climate change that's accessible is eliminating food waste, reducing mm. food waste. Um, now, some of that happens um, on, you know, before you can buy it at the market or wherever you're getting your food, um, you know, and better harvesting, um, better ways of, you know, um, transporting the food to the markets uh, and those sorts of things. But it also can fall into you. You can buy food that you're only going to consume. Uh, so eating all edible food, uh, not throwing it away. Um, composting is nice, yes, but ideally you you want to just buy what you're consuming, able to consume and not not pitch and throw away food. Other things are like, you know, switching to more plant-based diets. You know, the, there's lots of studies and research about, you know, the value of that health-wise, but um, in terms of it on climate emissions, a lot of food that gets grown for, agri for you know, beef, um, even, uh, you know, chickens and poultry um, and pigs, uh, that gets grown and fed to them. And then a lot of it's not even then becoming edible food for you later on down the, the supply. And so it get, gets lost in the process. So quite a, quite a few large things that you can do. I mean, things that have a large impact on your everyday choices. But of course, in the US, transportation and electricity usage are the biggest sources. So biking, walking more, um, using public transport, uh, all have, you know, really good impacts because you're, you're per person reducing the amount of carbon that's emitted. Um, you know, reducing electricity use as much as possible uh, is really good. Turning off lights in rooms when you're not in them, TVs and appliances that you're not using, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's more power consumed than you might realize uh, by things that are just plugged in but not active. Uh, and so eliminating that or reducing that is, is really helpful as well. These, these things are really hard for us to give up though, because that one in particular, because you lose a lot of freedom and independence when you start doing things that are by, by the mere definition, I guess. So doing things that are better for everyone instead of better for yourself, you lose a certain amount of your independence. Yeah. And that's, that's the challenge with, with climate change and a lot of these issues, right? Um, is that you're giving up your privilege to benefit others um, indirectly, right? And so, yeah, you're inconvenienced by the bus schedule or um, it might not be the direct route from your house to wherever the bus stop is. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of plan your time around that. Um, mm -hmm. But if you can reframe it, um, instead of being, thinking about it being inconvenienced, I, I when I was a student at Ohio State, you know, back then, I, I think it's still true that, uh, we got to ride Coda for part of our tuition. So you just hop on the bus. And I, I did that as a way to commute back and forth from school. Uh, you know, if you can reframe it by being inconvenienced to thinking about it as a new opportunity for time that you don't have to focus on driving. Mm -hmm. So you're on a bus. Now someone's in charge of getting you from point A to point B. There's time either for you to, um, you know, there if you can sit and read or you can listen to a podcast or you can just appreciate the world around you without having to be focused on, you know, not getting in an accident. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's reframing of it. it. It can help you to realize that, yeah, there's some things that I'm giving up, but I'm also gaining some other things that I wouldn't have otherwise. And we, we just use that mentality shift here. I think we'll realize, you know, that some of these choices and changes that we might have to make to help with the climate change crisis aren't as bad as what we think they are says everything matters. Everything we do matters. And these choices that might help with climate change, 
that we're going to make or that we could make aren't as bad as we think they are. So I know I'm pulling from a couple different scripture passages in this sermon, and uh, my preaching professor would probably be cringing right now, but following Jesus means loving your neighbor. It means not taking all the food that you can get while your neighbor is starving. That's not loving your neighbor. It means driving your gas-guzzling car knowingly, polluting the atmosphere. That's not loving your neighbors who have to sleep outside or work outside, who don't have the privilege of wealth or power to protect themselves from the environment. Not paying fair prices for food or clothing does nothing for our neighbors who are not earning a living wage for them or their family. Not worrying about gun violence or overdose deaths because they don't happen in your family is not loving your neighbor. I just wanted to point this out that there have been 56 homicides, oh, 57 homicides in the city of Columbus since January 1st, 2021. And just a note, last year, our city didn't reach the 57th homicide until July. I wrote this and I wrote 56, but uh, when I finished writing this, I got on Facebook and saw that there was another shooting last night. One person was killed and five were injured on the southeast side of Columbus, just actually a couple streets over from where I grew up. There have been 147 mass shootings in the U.S. since January 1st, which is more than four people being killed, not including the assailant, and 45 mass shootings just in the last 30 days. On March 26th, I, like, there was a list of all of them. Multiple, multiple days had multiple shootings. On March 26th alone, there were five mass shootings across the U.S., um, I want to show these Facebook screenshots from the Franklin County coroner. Um, she regularly posts updates um, and cries out as her office is not only completely overwhelmed by COVID deaths, but by homicides and over overdose deaths as well. So, you know, she says 17 overdose deaths in three and a half days, 13 overdose deaths in two and a half days, two homicides and eight overdose deaths in 24 hours, 12 people die by overdoses in 48 hours. A distressing weekend for Franklin County, three homicides and overdose deaths in two days. Creation is groaning and crying out. And we who are privileged as Americans, probably most of us are at least middle class, most of us are white, most of us are highly educated, we who have this privilege have the responsibility to, to not take and take and take to not only care for ourselves or our family, but to care for all of creation. Even if it's just the little things that all add up, like Ryan said, everything matters. I was looking at Earth Day quotes and I saw this one that struck me. There are so many differences and divisions and things that separate us these days, but here's the quote. It says, the earth is what we all have in common. And if we can think about that, I think we would care for each other more than we do. The earth is what we all have in common. Maya Angelou said it best, though. She said, when we know better, we do better. When we know better, we do better. Maybe you heard something this morning that you're like, I never knew that. Or maybe you knew all of it, and it's kind of been out of sight, out of mind, like it has been for me until this week writing this sermon. But every time we hear that we could be doing something better to save the earth, to care for it just that much more, we have the opportunity and the call from God our creator, the creator of everything and everyone, to do better. But there is hope because the earth is crying out. 
And when God's creation cries out over and over and over again, God hears. When you cry out, God hears you. When the earth cries out, God hears. Going back to the the chapter in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16 says, it's not on the screen, but so listen closely. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. In response to that prophecy at the beginning, this is what God says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into our, their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God says, because the leaders aren't taking care of my creation, I will. God hears their cries and God goes out and seeks and finds them. And God says, God will care for creation with justice. As the people of God here today, living in in the culture, in this time and place that we live in, God calls us to be co-laborers with God to do the same. To seek out the places and the people who have been taken advantage of to recover the land and the water that has been polluted, to fight for policies and protection for people and places that are easily abused and mistreated. Everything we do counts and can matter in this cause. So this Earth Day and this week and this, in this season that I'm in, I am recommitting myself to justice. That's the problem with writing a sermon is that you realize all the things that I haven't been doing that I am now convicted in as God works in me to share this with you. So this week, this Earth Day, I'm recommitting myself to justice, to the work of anti-racism, to the work of caring for the earth, to the work of using my voice and doing my part in the pursuit of making sure that this earth is and becomes a safer and safer place for all people and all creation. I do invite you to join me, so I want to leave you with a list of things that you can do this week to, as we celebrate Earth Day um, to honor creation in our creator. So some of these are more simple than others. I tried to keep it low-key. Um, so you can take a walk in nature, whether it's your backyard or a park, wherever you can recognize and reconnect with creation. Um, you can do that this week. My plan is to not eat or buy meat this week. I did that once in my life. I I hope I can do it again this week. Um, Plant a tree or start your garden. It's getting that time if you have a garden or if you want to plant flowers. Um, Anything that the honeybees can can love. That's a great idea. Um, Do a trash inventory. I think Joe is going to talk about this a little bit more next week with the interview he had um, with another person. But just pay attention to what and how much you're throwing away. That might be a good start to this conversation. 
Um, ride the bus, ride your bike, share transportation this week, even if it's just for one day, um, that anything can help, like Ryan says. Um, conserve water while showering, brushing your teeth, washing the dishes. I'm the worst at this, so this is on my list. Um, another way is just to research where your favorite clothes, either brand or retailer, where they make their clothes, where they get all of that, um, and maybe even the labor laws or the resources that they use. So that's just a, a small list, just something that you can look into to doing this week. There is hope because we all will be remade. And God calls us into this work with himself to care for his creation with justice. Let's pray. God of the universe, you made the heavens and the earth. So we do not call our home merely planet earth. We call it your creation, a divine mystery, a gift from your most blessed hand. The world itself is your miracle. Bread and vegetables from earth are thus also from heaven. Help us to see in our daily bread your presence. Grant us humility that we might become more human, that we might mend our rift from your creation, that we might then know the sacredness of the gift of life, that we might truly experience life from the hand of God. Thanks be to God who made the world teeming with variety of things on the earth, above the earth, and under the earth. Thanks be to God for the many kinds of plants and trees and fruits we celebrate. For the mammals, birds, and bugs, for the plants we grow and the plants we eat, for the neighbors who look like us and the neighbors who don't. We rejoice that we find ourselves eclipsed by the magnitude of generosity and mystery. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>